All right, all right. Well, you know, I guess the, uh, the screen says, Happy New Year 2015. Is that here? Happy New Year. No one said that this morning, did they? Huh? Well, welcome to Seacoast. Take your Bibles out. Let's start the new year in the Word of God. Open to the book of Philippians chapter 3 today. Philippians chapter 3. As you do, let me pray. Father God, thanks for the chance to gather together in a new year. Thanks for the chance to worship you. Thanks for the chance to just have life in Christ. Uh, So much of this world is um, starting the new year without that. And we, Father, are humbled by the gift of your grace and life. And we just pray that as we go into the new year, you give us some focus this morning for how to really make it new, make it fresh, and to make it what you want it to be. And that's my prayer. That's my prayer, Father. So would you teach through your word and use it. Use it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, in case you haven't uh, already noticed, 2014 is over. <laughs> now, for some of you, that's a woohoo kind of a kind of a memory. For others, it's like, oh, I kind of hate to see it end. You know, growing up as a kid, it was easy for me to know when the new year began because it always had to do with the Rose Parade and the Rose Bowl. Because for me, growing up back in the Midwest, you know, watching the Rose Bowl, seeing people in t-shirts and shorts, watching a game with palm trees and snow on the top, top of the mountains in the background, I thought, this is a weird, weird place to live. But then our family got transported to California and we then discovered it is indeed a weird, weird place to live but a very blessed, weird place. But we knew that uh, on New Year's Day, there would be the big bowl games, and then the bowl games were over on New Year's Day, right? I mean, it's the way God designed it to work. <laughs> and then it was a new year officially. And then they added the BCS championship game, and they floated to January 3rd or 4th or 5th or somewhere strange like that, and all of a sudden it was not over on New Year's Day. Now this year you have the crazy playoffs as well, and uh, in case you haven't noticed, things changed a little bit in the world of college uh, football, and and now you have the playoffs, and and I think there's still a couple bowl games still left to be played today. So it's still 2014 as far as I'm concerned. Because until you get it over, which now will be January 12th, it's still the 2014 season. But, you know, all joking aside, you know, as you think about life, I think there are some parallels with sports, you know, because as you think about starting a new year for every team in the country but two, they're already thinking, how do I make 2015 new? Not just how do I experience it, but how do I make it new? How do I experience 2015 in a way that's a little bit newer better than 2014 was. And if you're the Oregon Ducks or the Ohio State Buckeyes, then you can't wish for much more except one more victory. And by the way, my bet is on the Ducks. Not that any of you care, but if a duck comes up against a nut, I vote for the duck, right? I mean, how how could you have two less feared mascots, by the way? But anyway, yeah. May the ducks eat the nut. No Trojans, no bears, no little Bruin bears even. 
So as it goes for them, 2014 is over. 2014 is over. So all joking aside, what is the connection? You know, for, because when we think about the rest of our life, God has uniquely designed this place that we live. The sun, the moon, the, 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 the cycles of the weather, everything else. He's kind of designed it to where every 365 days, and I know there's the leap year thing, but forget about that for now. Every 365 days, it starts new. It starts over. Every 12 months, every four seasons, it starts new. But as I think about that, the question which I have shared in the past, because it's, it convicts me every year at this time, is how do I go from just experiencing another year to experiencing a new year? And I really think that's significant as, as we as Christians think about our lives. Because to experience another year is fairly simple. I just need to breathe. I just need to stay upright and alive for another 365 days, 12 months, four seasons, and it'll be another year. But I don't think it'll necessarily be a new year. A mentor of mine, Howie Hendricks, used to say that some people say they have 20 years experience in what they do, and he said other people have one year of experience repeated 20 times. So how do we take 2015, and, and what can we learn from God's Word about not just letting it be another year, but hopefully, in some sense, in our walk with God, in our walk with Christ, in, in our spiritual growth, that it's not just another year, it is a new year. So how do you put the new in the new year? It's kind of what we're going to be talking about. And as I thought about that, you know, I, I, I think, I don't, I don't really like setting grandiose goals. Um, I find that when I set these big grandiose goals, usually by February, I've given up on most of them and they aren't necessarily working. But what I do like is thinking about not just grand goals, but how do I approach the new year? How do I go into it differently? So I looked at the God's Word and I came up with a passage that to me has become my favorite passage, uh, at least to apply to my life. And I'm just going to share uh, what, what helps me, and, and hopefully uh, God's Word applies. I know it does to you as well. But it, the passage is captured in one verse, but then we're going to look at the, the 14 verses around it to kind of catch the context, okay? Here is my favorite verse if you want to make another year a new year. It's captured in verse 13 of Philippians 3. Here it is. It says this. Paul writes this, Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, achieved it yet, but one thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind, reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now, I kind of love that verse because he, he talks about, number one, is, is I, don't, I don't consider myself as having arrived. Now, I don't know about you, but that puts me in the game on this verse. I mean, I, how many of you really honestly would say, you know something, I kind of felt like 2014, I had everything dialed in. Everything, I, I did everything just the way God would want me to do it. I'm really pleased. If I can just stay exactly where I was in 2014, that's all I want. My guess is not very many hands. I won't embarrass you by asking you to raise your hand. If you think you were that dialed in in 2014, you're ahead of where the Apostle Paul was late in his life. Because he says, I'm not there yet. God's not finished with me yet. 
And then he says, but this one thing I do. So what I love about this verse is what we're going to do is we're going to talk about how do we adjust our attitude. We're going to talk about our attitude toward the new year, but then we're going to also talk about Paul's simple approach to having a, another year become a new year. And his simple approach is captured in that phrase, this one thing I do. Now, if the Apostle Paul, with all of his, uh, with all of his spiritual growth and wisdom given by inspiration of God in this book, if he says, this one thing I do, that all of a sudden gets my attention. Because if it's that important to say, this one thing I do, then I want to understand what is, to quote Billy Crystal, the one thing. Anybody remember what, what movie was that, anyway? That, that's not in my notes. I should stay on task. C- City Slickers. Anyway, there, here we go. What is the one thing? Let's listen to the Word of God. We're going to listen to how the grace of God applies in our life, and, and, and the grace of God helps us say, let's not do another year, let's do a new year. And it does it by doing three things in verses 1 through 14. First, it's going to caution us. It's going to remind us of something so basic that it's a, it's, a, it's a very important caution that we've got to listen to first. And then it's going to go from cautioning us to correcting and adjusting our attitude because attitudes often have more to do with success than action. So he's going to caution us. He's going to adjust our attitude a little bit. And then he's going to give us the one thing approach to the new year. Ready? Here we go. Let's look at the caution first. It's in verses 1 through 11. We're just going to read it quickly and just give you the big idea. Here it goes. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again to you is no trouble to me because it is a safeguard for you. So stop right there. The first thing he says before he goes into the rest of this passage is, I know I've told you this before. And I love the fact that Paul says, I know I've told you this before, but let me, say, let me tell you, I have no trouble repeating myself because it is so basic to life that is a safeguard to make sure you don't miss it. So some things, if you're sitting there thinking, hey, Dan, I think I've heard this before somewhere. Good, I hope you have. Because this is one of those truths that we need to hear repeatedly according to the Apostle Paul and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So I buy that. He says, it's a safeguard for you to hear this even though I've told you before. And then he goes into this thing, he says, beware of the dogs. Now, this is not talking about college football or anything else. He's talking about false teachers. Beware of the evil workers because of the false circumcision. For we are of the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God, glory in Christ Jesus, and put no confidence in the flesh. Let me pull up right there. His caution is beware of false teaching about your faith from within the church. And he says there's three things to make sure that you are on caution uh, concerning. And he says don't get into the false teaching. Uh, I don't want to get into the whole topic of circumcision today on New Year's Day. Okay, But I will tell you, the false versus the true teaching. And he says the true teaching, the true faith, the true relationship with God is built on, he said, Three things, and you should underline them in the text. They're in verse 3. He says, those who worship in the Spirit of God, who worship in the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. Now, that's a great three-step list. Let me just kind of briefly mention it. Number one, remember when Jesus was confronted concerning true religion versus false religion, and, and, he, and he got into a great conversation with the, with, uh, with the woman 
uh, at the well, and when she began to want to debate religion, Jesus said, hey, let me just tell you this. God is looking for those. It doesn't matter so much exactly where you worship, exactly whether it's at this mountain or this mountain, this temple or that temple. He says, what matters, because she was wanting to debate him as a Samaritan, what matters is the Father is looking for those who will worship him in spirit and in truth, from the heart, sincerely. And in this passage, though, he goes even beyond that because when he says, God says, make sure that you worship in the spirit of God. And I think that it's a, it's a use of the phrase uh, in God, the spirit, the spirit of God, that indicates in the power of God. In other words, don't try to do this yourself. Do it in the power of God. Even your worship needs to be grounded in a dependence upon the Holy Spirit that lives in you. You need to ask God this year to help you engage with Him in worship from the heart and worship that is dependent upon God and Him supplying what you need to bring your very best to Him in worship. Make worship a priority, but do it especially in dependence upon the power of God. Now let me just kind of unpack the rest of this and you'll see how they fit together. Secondly, he says, and it's those who glory in Christ Jesus. Who glory in Christ Jesus. The word glory means to boast in. Uh, in fact, in, uh, in Ephesians where it talks about that we are saved by grace through faith and therefore, um, uh, and that not of ourselves, it's the gift of God, not as a result of our works lest anyone should boast. It's the same Greek word that, that for boasting. So what do you boast in? What do you take pride in? What do you get excited about? What do you glory in? What do you exalt in? What do you exalt or lift up is another way that this word is translated. And all of those, the big idea is that we glory in Christ Jesus, that is, and not ourselves, which is why he follows it with this phrase, and put no confidence in the flesh. Now, when he uses the word put no confidence in the flesh, he's talking about not so much your physical body, but your human effort. It's a phrase that's often used in, if I do it in the power of the flesh instead of the power of God and the power of His Spirit, is I'm doing it in my own strength. So you just kind of see that trilogy and you see the big idea. The big idea is this. It's that, look, it's not about you. That if you want to have a better 2015 than 14, don't go into it thinking that you can do it alone. Don't go into it thinking, if I just try harder, be a little more spiritual, make myself, you know, if I make myself a little better, then it'll, it'll be a better year. And what he says is, the number one caution is, don't think that way. That is the false way of thinking. But you worship in the Spirit. You glory in Christ Jesus. It's all about Jesus, not about us. And you put no, no confidence in your own human effort to pull it off alone. You put no confidence in the flesh. And then Paul goes on to list in the rest of these verses. He says, and by the way, although I myself might have confidence even in my human effort or my flesh or my resume, he says, if anyone else has, uh, has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. And he goes into this whole thing. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, tribe of Benjamin. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, I was a Pharisee. As to zeal, I was even a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness which comes in the law, I was found blameless. In other words, what he's saying is, look, when it comes to just trying to be religious, 
I did it better than any of you. I've been there, done that, and I know that that's not the secret to really being transformed and changed. It's not the secret to a new year being truly new. So Paul says, look, I, I, I know how to do religion. I know how to put confidence in, in my own human effort. I know how to be self-disciplined. I know how to do all of that, and that is not the secret to a better year next year. That's putting the confidence in me instead of in Christ. Worship in the Spirit, glory in Christ, but no confidence in the flesh. And then he moves on. And then he begins to not just talk about how he uh, needs to trust in Christ. Be careful. Don't be self-confident, but be Christ-centered, Christ-confident. Number two, he corrects our attitude. And beginning in verse 12 through 14, let me just show you. In fact, I'll read through 15. Notice the attitude adjustments here. Notice the attitude phrases. He says, not that I have already obtained it, that is, this spiritual maturity, or have become, or have become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us, therefore, as many as are perfect or perfected, have this attitude. There's the word. And if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that to you. So he's talking about attitudes now. What are the three attitudes mentioned? Here, here they are, if I can call them out. In verses 12, 13, and 15. Number one, grace says stay humble. Stay humble in 2015. He says, I have not achieved it yet. Meaning the, the spiritual maturity, all that Christ wants to do in my life. The, you know, he says, I, I haven't achieved it yet. I've still got a long way to go. Now, listen to who's speaking here. Because he says that not once, but twice. He says it in verse 12, and then in verse 13, he comes back and he repeats it. He says, I, I want to say it again. I'm not there yet. Now, who's writing this? This is not some rookie pastor. This is not some new guy on the block in terms of American Christianity or something. You're talking the Apostle Paul. You're talking the person who had more zeal and excitement for Christ, probably the greatest follower of Jesus who ever lived by human standards would be the Apostle Paul, the writer of a big chunk of the New Testament. So here's a man who loved God deeply, walked with Him faithfully, was used by God in an incredibly unique way that, that would change the eternal destiny of millions of people, including me and you. And his attitude late in life is he says, you know something? As I go into a new year, I'm not there yet. God's not finished with me. God still has a lot to do in my life. I still at times struggle with sin. I still at times uh, realize that I blow it. I still at times, I need to, that's why I need to worship in the power of God, not my own strength and glory in Christ and put no confidence in my own human effort because I've tried that and it doesn't work. He says, so stay humble. Fact is, we all have a long way to go. 
Now, that can be kind of depressing as you go into the new year to realize, wow, after all these years of knowing Jesus, um, walking with Christ, doing church, how many sermons have I listened to? How many sermons have I given? I'm not there yet. What's wrong with me? And Paul says, you know something? You're normal. Because this side of heaven, that's where we all sit. We need to stay humble and say, God, I, I know there's a lot more that needs to be done by you in my life. Number two. But then he says, Grace says, but be optimistic. You should expect progress this year. Not perfection, but progress. And I think one thing the evil one tries to do, at least for me, is he tries to lay on me a perfection as the goal. That, you know, if you're not perfect, then God doesn't love you. And, and, and the Apostle Paul says, don't expect perfection. Perfection comes when you are with me in heaven someday. But for right now, in terms of your life, you should expect progress. I love this phrase that he uses. He says, um, but I press on, verse 12, that so that I may lay hold of that for which I was laid hold of by Jesus Christ. I love that phrase. He says, Jesus Christ has grabbed me for a purpose. He says, and I want to lay hold of the maturity and the life change and the life impact that Jesus wants me to have. Because Jesus has laid hold of me, so I want to reach and try to lay hold of all that he wants to do in me, through me, and with me. But I love that phrase. It says, you know, hey, Jesus laid hold of me. It's a phrase that indicates in the metaphor of reaching down and grabbing somebody that's going under for the last time and grabbing them and jerking them up and saving them. You know, so the image is not that, you know, I kind of climbed my way to God. That's false religion. It's that, no, when I was desperate and desperately needy, Jesus Christ has reached down, and for whatever reason, His grace has chosen me, loved me, grabbed hold of me. He's laid hold of me and, and brought me up and made me His child. To think that God did that. And he says, therefore, now I want to reach forward to whatever Christ wants me to do and be. I want to lay hold of that for which Christ laid hold of me. See, what he's saying is Jesus grabbed me. Jesus redeemed me for a reason. And I want to pursue that. So he says, therefore, I'm excited about trying to lay hold of that for which Christ laid hold of me. So be optimistic, stay humble in 2015, but also be optimistic that not in your own strength, but because of the grace of God and because of Christ in your life, you have reason to expect 2015 to be better than 2014. Be optimistic, be humble. Third thing I think that's implied here is just downright be thankful. Be thankful. In verse 15 he says a very interesting thing because... You know, Paul says in verse 12 that um, he says, not that I have already obtained it or become perfect. He says, I still need to be pressing on. I'm not perfect. That is, in terms of how I live. But then in verse 15, he, he kind of has a, a play on words. He uses the same term in verse 15. He says, let us therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude. Uh, wow. So first he says, hey, you're not perfect. I'm not perfect. And then he says, but as many of us who are perfect have this attitude. 
So what he's doing is this. The word perfect, here's what it means. The word perfect, it comes from a Greek word, teleos, and it means complete or finished. Uh, It's used for like uh, growth or maturity. Uh, The phrase is used to mean finished, completeness, to come of age or full age or maturity. So what he's really saying is this. He is saying, look, when it comes to being spiritually mature and perfected, I'm not there yet. I got a long way to go in terms of my daily walk with God. But the encouraging thing is, in the eyes of God, I have been perfected. I have been forgiven. I have been made perfect in Christ. And he goes from talking about what I am like in my daily life to what I'm like because of what Christ and his grace has done for me, which is he has perfected me. He has forgiven me of all my sin, past, present, and even future. He has indwelt me with his spirit. He has made me a child of God. There's all these things that are true of me in Christ. So he says, those of us who have been made perfect in Christ. Now, let's press on. Years and years ago... um, Josh McDowell, I heard him at a college conference, and he was explaining the, a big word. We use a word called sanctification. It's the, it's the concept of how you grow spiritually to become more of what God wants you to be. So it's that concept of spiritual growth. And he defined it this way. I never forgot it. He says sanctification or spiritual growth is the process of becoming who you already are. It's the process of, of becoming who you already are in Christ. So in Christ, Dale is forgiven. In Christ, Dale is free of sin. In Christ, Dale is free to to say no to temptation. In Christ, Dale is uh, is empowered and gifted to make a difference in this world and not just take up space. In Christ, all that's true of me. In Christ, I have a heavenly home that's promised and secured. In Christ, I have an earthly family now on earth called the church. In Christ, I can be used by God in 2015 in ways way beyond whatever God did in 2014. In Christ, I have all of that. So what he's saying is those of you who, because we are, because we have in Christ all that we need, you are forgiven. So now press on to become the person that God has birthed you to be. Be thankful. Be thankful that Christ has done it for us, given it to us. Be optimistic, be humble. So then the mystery of right in the middle of this, he says, so brethren, therefore, with humility, optimism, and thankfulness, this one thing I do, in verse 13. This one thing I do. So what is the one thing that helps me Make another year a new year. And when I look at this, I was puzzled because he says the one thing, and then he tells us three things. I mean, is that a mistake? I don't believe so. I don't think there's any mistakes in God's word. So I looked at it more carefully, and he says this, this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal. Forgetting, reaching forward, I press on. And see, what he's saying is this. The one thing is actually a three-step daily approach to life. And I love this. 
because it, it, it's so freeing. It, it breaks into three phrases. I'll put them up and then we'll talk about them. Forgetting the past. He says, forget the past, focus forward with new goals toward what Christ wants you to be, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, and, and then press on, which is the daily pursuit of, this, of what he calls this upward call. Now, let me break these down and talk about them. First, forgetting the past. See, forgetting yesterday is, should be a part of our daily rhythm. Every day you wake up, don't live according to yesterday. Don't dwell on yesterday. Dwelling on yesterday is always bad for your spiritual health. Now, it's not that you don't learn lessons from the past, okay? Learn the lesson from the past, but then move on and don't live there. And here's why it's so dangerous. If you had a great 2014 in which you felt like, wow, spiritually I, I, I did pretty well and I, I really had a pretty good, my, my relationships, my marriage, my family went pretty well and my work was better, blah, blah, blah. If you had a great 2014 and you feel like, wow, I really nailed it, then if you dwell on that in 2015, you will become prideful and you will, you will, you will, you will lose your spiritual edge. Because pride always causes you to, 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 to forget that, you know, I need to glory in Christ and not try to do this in, in human effort or put confidence in myself. So you'll begin to put confidence in yourself, you'll become prideful, and you'll have a, you'll have a, you'll have a bad, bad outcome. What if 2014 was really, really bad? And you look back on that, and you right now can think of several things that went really wrong in your life, and you made some lousy choices, and and you suffered the consequences of that. Or just life was tough and it was full of suffering. And, and sometimes you wondered, where is God and is he listening? And If you dwell on how crappy 2014 was, you will become despondent. You may despair. You will become depressed and want to give up. Because you dwell on how lousy it was. So whether 2014 was your greatest year or your worst year of your life, he says, this one thing I do. One thing, three steps. Keep forgiving and forgetting the past. Put the past behind you. Don't live there. I ran across a fun little story that I'll share with you about this. Uh, kind of illustrates the danger of living according to your past and not letting the grace of God help you put it behind you. It says there was a little boy. I don't know if this is true or not, but it sounds cool. <clears throat> Which is true of a lot of sermon illustrations, by the way. There was a little boy visiting his grandparents on their farm, and he was given a slingshot to play with in the woods. He practiced in the woods, but he could never hit the target, never once. And getting a little discouraged, he headed back to have dinner. As he was walking back, he saw his grandma's pet duck. You know where this is going? So just out of impulse, he let the slingshot fly, and he hit the duck squarely in the head. Killed it. He was shocked and grieved. In a panic, he hid the duck in the woodpile only to see his sister watching him. His sister Sally had seen it all, but she said nothing. So after lunch that day, grandma, his grandma said, uh, Sally, let's wash the dishes. But Sally said, you know, Grandma, I think Johnny told me he wants to do the dishes. <laughs> and then she whispered to him, remember the duck? Remember the duck? So Johnny did the dishes. Later that day, Grandpa asked if any of the children wanted to go fishing, and Grandma said, I'm sorry, but I'm going to need Sally to help me make supper. But Sally just smiled and said, Well, that's all right, because I think Johnny told me that he wanted to help. 
And she whispered again. Remember the duck? So Sally went fishing and Johnny stayed and helped with supper. After several days of doing this, Johnny doing both his chores and Sally's, he finally couldn't stand it any longer. He came to his grandma. He confessed that he had killed the duck. Grandma knelt down, gave him a hug, said, sweetheart, I know. You see, I was standing at the window and I saw the whole thing. But because I love you, I forgive you. I was just wondering how long you'd let Sally make you her slave. Moral of the story is whatever is in your past, whatever you have done that the enemy, your spiritual enemy, keeps throwing up in your face, lying, debt, fear, hatred, anger, unforgiveness, bitterness, whatever, you need to know that Christ was standing in the window when you did it. And he loves you and he has forgiven you. He's just wondering how long you're going to let the enemy make a slave of you. You see, Jesus not only forgives us of our past, he offers us the freedom to actually change and make 2015 different. But to do it, we've got to listen to the caution. You've got to worship in the power of the Spirit, not yourself. Don't put your confidence in your flesh, but glory in Christ Jesus. Remember the caution. You've got to adjust the attitude. We've got to stay humble. We've got to stay optimistic because of what Christ has done, not in ourselves. And we've got to stay thankful for His grace that keeps us coming back no matter what we do in 2015. And then we need to learn to do the one thing. And it begins with forget yesterday. Forget 2014 and anything before that. In fact, forget January 1 to 3. In fact, forget this morning. Number two, focus forward. Set new goals in Christ. Imagine who you are in Jesus Christ. Remember who you are in Christ. In Christ I am, and here's my short list. You're a child of God, you're loved and accepted, you're indwelt with His Spirit, you're gifted and significant to Him, you are free to change by the power of His Spirit, you're eternally secure in His love, you have a home waiting for you in heaven, and you have a new family on earth to help you until you get there, called the church. That's the real you. That's the real you. Focus on that. Anticipate that. So forget the past. Always look forward to who Christ wants you to be and has, has equipped you to be. And then thirdly, press on. He says, then I press on. It's a daily pursuit of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now when I looked at this word, it's fascinating. He says, I press on. It's the word used 44 times in the New Testament. Often it's translated very differently. It's a word that means I pursue something. And, and by the way, it's even used of pursuing bad things zealously. In fact, when Jesus says, if you love me, you'll, the world will persecute you. And he says, the world just, like, just like the world persecuted me. The word persecute is the exact same Greek word translated here, I press on. In other words, I pursue something with zeal is the concept. It's a zealous 
determined pursuit of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He says, just as the enemies of Jesus pursued Him, persecuted Him, in other words, they didn't give up, they were determined to get Him. It's that sense of determination that's in the Word. So he says, what are you, deter- what are you pressing on? So, so what he's saying is, yeah, if you want 2015 to be better, you don't just relax in grace, you also press on by the grace of God. You pursue the things that promote that spiritual growth in your life. You determine to be zealous to spend time in worship, time in the Word, time with one another, time in ministry. You, you pursue that zealously. You press on with effort and energy. What do we press on toward? If I were to give you two short phrases, it's the call to be who you already are in Christ. It's the call to be different. If Christ has laid hold of me to make me like Himself, then let's pursue that, knowing that He by His grace and His power can provide it. And secondly, it's the call to not just be, but to go into our world and be Christ. To be His presence in your everyday world. So what does a new 2015 look like? Here at Seacoast, we challenge every follower of Jesus to set goals every year in three areas. Number one, what are you going to do to encounter God in worship? Spend time in the Word. Get here on Sundays. Get here on time. Come eager and ready to worship. Make worship a priority together. Make worship a priority alone when you spend time with God on your own. That's why we are pretty unique as a church in that we provide every single week, if you will sign up, go to the website, sign up for the daily encounters with God. We will email you a passage of Scripture and some questions. Always link back to the sermon to help you Work that sermon into your life. Now, by the way, this coming year, we got something new that we're adding. And that is this thing called the Daily Dose. Now, you've got to sign up for the Daily Encounters to get it. So there you go. All right? But now, you get two for the price of one. And you know what the price is? Anybody know what they paid last year for the Daily Encounters? The subscri- What's the subscription cost? Is it really free? Yeah, I knew that. Okay. Yeah, it's free. Okay, it's free. It's truly free. No hidden cost. So subscribe to it. It's free, but here's the deal. What we're doing, and it's a great new concept, is, is uh, one of our members put, put me onto this. They said, you know, Dale, very few people will go back and listen to the whole sermon again, but they need to, to be refreshed by the main points of the sermon. I said, how do we do that? He says, I'll help. And what he does is he takes my sermon or Ryan's sermon and he pulls out of it five about three-minute-long clips, and he edits them down so that you get the essence of the sermon, you get the highlights of the sermon in five three-minute clips, anywhere from two to four minutes long uh, every week, and, and, and you can listen to them. And, and, and it just kind of brings that truth back to your mind in short nuggets. And if you really like it, it's short enough you can throw it out on social media to your friends. I think it's a cool idea. And if it means it also if you miss church and you don't have time to listen to the whole sermon, you can get it in 15 minutes, which some of you are already thinking, Dale, then why don't we just do 15-minute sermons? <laughs> don't go there. Let's go. But then there's always a link to the whole sermon if you want to get the rest 
of it. So if you're not already signed up, go there and take advantage of it. Try it out this week. Try the daily dose with the daily encounters. Number two, connect. This, you know, I'm, I'm reminding you of the things that are essential. Connect to one another in, wor- in, in fellowship. Connect to one another for spiritual growth. Here it's called life groups. It's our life groups and our other small group environments because that's where you can be real, be open, and process truth and, 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 and wrestle with God's word and how it applies in your life with a few trusted friends that know you, love you, and you do life together. Connect and then go. We need to be working on how can God take us into our world to be more effective in 2015. And I'm going to tell you something. I'm very excited that in two more weeks, we're going to launch a new sermon series entitled, Go. Subtitle, God's Call for Ordinary People in Everyday Life. Love that. God's Call for Ordinary People... We're not talking about a sermon series for missionaries and pastors because and, they're not ordinary. They're strange. <laughs> I'm kidding, kind of. But we're talking about God's call on your life, ordinary people in their everyday life. What's it look like to go and, and be the ambassador representative of Jesus Christ in your job, in your world, in your neighborhood, on your soccer club, whatever you are, whatever you're doing. What's that look like? That's why all those little symbols in the word go. So you'll see that in one form or another up here in two more weeks. So how do we launch this? Just do one thing. Forget 2014. Focus on who you are in Jesus Christ. And then press on. Press on. Put the time and the energy needed into making 2015 different that you might encounter, connect, and go in Christ. That's my prayer for you. Best way to start that is to go to the cross, to go to the communion. We're going to turn our hearts now for the next 10 minutes to a time of worship around the Lord's table. So pray with me as we do that. Father God, um, I thank you that in the spirit of launching the new year, putting no confidence in in the flesh, but glorying in Christ and worshiping in your spirit, we want to take the next few minutes of our morning to focus exclusively on the gift of Christ on the cross, that precious sacrifice for our sins, that risen Christ who's alive today and who deserves all of our appreciation and love and devotion. So we take the next few minutes to refocus on Christ, to give thanks for the cross, and to recommit ourselves to pursue him in 2015. In Christ's name, amen. As we begin to worship, just sit, pray, have a little private time with God, confess your sin if God brings that to your mind. He always does in my life. Thank him that his grace forgives you. Thank you that his spirit is in you. Thank you his word is true. Thank you he gives you a family here at Seacoast. And then when you're ready, go to one of the stations 
sprinkled around around the room, the four corners of the room, and have a little private communion time. Take the bread representing the body of Jesus. Take the cup representing the blood of Christ. You can bring it back to your seat or just step off by yourself. Maybe go over to the cross in the corner. Just make it your time of worship, your time of recommitting yourself to him. Thank you, Lord, for your gift. Thank you for your son. We worship you in this time of communion now. Amen.